Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Amen. There is an unbridgeable gap between the very best of human wisdom, human understanding, and human counsel, and the sovereignty of God, okay? Human wisdom, human understanding, human counsel cannot even begin to approach the sovereign wisdom, the sovereign understanding, and the sovereign counsel of God. In fact, that's what Solomon is saying here in this 21st chapter of the book of Proverbs and in verse 30 when he says, once again, there's no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. That word against has this idea in opposition to, which can be compared to or which can avail or prevail against him. So no human wisdom can prevail against God and no human wisdom can compare to the wisdom of God. No human understanding can prevail against God or can compare to God's understanding and no human counsel can compare or can prevail against the counsel of God. So in other words, we might say it this way. In fact, someone put it this way. Nothing clever, nothing conceived, nothing contrived can get the better of God, right? To fight against God, folks, is to fight a losing battle. I don't care who you are. I don't care what position you have in this world. You are going to lose if you fight against God. We can never succeed when we go against the sovereign creator of the universe. I'll just use a personal example. Many years ago, God called me to preach. Well, I just didn't imagine that I could do that. Okay? And in fact, I fought that. And every year, I would get miserable about the time some young men in the church were going off to seminary. And finally, you know, the Lord won the battle. He called me to preach, and that's what I'm doing now. But God wins. And ultimately, God's purpose is going to be accomplished in our lives, and God's purpose is going to be accomplished in this world. Now, I know the ways of the world seem subtle, don't they? This world seems to be so clever today. This world seems to be so cunning in its antagonism against God. I mean, all you have to do is look around you, not even at the whole world, just look at our nation today. And doesn't it seem like the forces of evil, the forces of Satan seem to be getting the upper hand? I said seem to be, right? They just seem to be getting the upper hand because all of it is futility and feebleness and failure of antagonism against God. They are not going to win. God always wins. Listen to what the Bible has to say about those who ignore and oppose the Lord. Job chapter 5 verse 13, talking about God, says, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the forward is carried headlong. Now when you talk about the forward, he, the idea of the word forward means to be perverted, to be false, to be deceitful. And so God just takes the counsel of the deceitful and easily removes it. Matthew Henry said this, he put it this way, he snares them in the work of their own hands. The psalmist said in Psalm 9 verse 15, the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made 
And then he goes on to say, in the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The world connives and the world plans and the world decides what it's going to do and then it all turns against them and God has taken them in their own counsel. He's taking them in their own devices. Psalm 33.10 says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. And again, that talks about the contrivances. All that this world, and I listened to this, I heard this from another pastor just this week, and I thought this is so true, and we need to share this with our people. From the moment a child is born, this world is working on that child to conform that child to everything that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we're to be, as God's people, are to be conformed not to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the psalmist said, God is going to bring all of the advice of the world. Everything it is trying to do, God is going to bring it all to naught. Psalm 33, verse 11, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. It doesn't matter what plans the world has. It doesn't matter what devices the world has. It doesn't matter what counsel or what understanding the world has. It will fail. But the counsel of God will stand sure. We're going to look at these three thoughts this morning. Man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Man's understanding versus God's understanding. And man's counsel versus God's counsel. Mankind's wisdom cannot compare nor can it prevail against the wisdom of God. Now when we're talking about wisdom this morning, we need to understand it pertains to the philosophies of the world and even the demonic doctrines that oppose the truth of God's word. There are a lot of demonic doctrines. See, doctrine is just teaching. There's a lot of demonic doctrines in our world today. The doctrine of evolution is a demonic doctrine. The uh, doctrine that there's no such thing as an eternity, that men just, when they die, they're dead all over and they're done and that's it. That's a demonic doctrine. The doctrine of works for salvation is a demonic doctrine. I mean, there's just a lot of demonic doctrines in this world and wisdom, as we're talking about here, when we're talking about man's wisdom, is talking about those. It's not just limited to academics. It encompasses skill in living and it encompasses conduct in our lives. And the implementation of worldly philosophies and the implementation of world doctrines is often very skillful and it seems to be successful as we're dealing with people. But the Bible teaches us there's only two kinds of wisdom, isn't there? There's only two kinds of wisdom. There's heavenly wisdom and then there's worldly wisdom. James talks about that. In fact, over in the book of James in the third chapter, see what James has to say about both of those wisdoms. James chapter three, first of all, beginning in verse 14, James says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. James says, here's worldly wisdom. Here's mankind's thinking. First of all, he says it doesn't come from God. It doesn't come down from heaven. It is earthly. It's of this world. That word earthly means worldly, physically and morally, in its values and in its ideals. 
It's all according to this world, which is corrupt before God. And then he says it's sensual. What does sensual mean? It talks about natural. Sensual talks about that which pertains to the animal life. Man, when he's operating in man's wisdom, is not operating any wiser many times than just an animal would operate. It's just, again, very natural wisdom. It denotes what man is by nature. And then he says it is devilish. You know what that word means? That word means demon-like. Man's wisdom is a demon-like wisdom. You just look at what's happening in our world today. Folks, it looks like Satan has turned loose all of his demons upon this earth and upon this nation. And in many of the Lord's churches, it looks like he's doing a really good work. I sort of, when I talked about Sunday school, Brother Jim, do you really believe the camera fell over because of Satan? I wouldn't doubt it. You know what we were talking about when the camera fell over? Salvation. Right? Satan does not want that message to get out into the world. So anything he can do, because I tell you what, anybody that's watching at home while we're talking about salvation and the camera falls over, what's going to happen to their thinking? It's going to get off the subject that's being discussed. And they're going to be distracted. And that's what Satan does best is to distract people from the Word of God. And that's what worldly wisdom does. And then he says it brings envying and strife. Does it seem to you that in our world today, at least see it in our nation, that so many people just seem to be walking around with a chip on their shoulder. So many people seem to be walking around wanting to fight, looking maybe for a fight. And there's a bitter attitude. Well, you know where that comes from? It comes from worldly wisdom. You ever heard this saying? You got to look out for number one. Well, in the life of a child of God, number one is not right here. Number one is there. Number one is God. We need to please him first. And in fact, you know the old acrostic for joy? J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and then yourself. That's the actual right order of those things. But James says, this is what worldly wisdom is like. This is what human wisdom is like. But then he talked about heavenly wisdom in verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above. That's the first thing he says about it. It's from above. When we're operating in godly wisdom, we're operating from the wisdom of heaven. He said, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, morally blameless, innocent. That's the kind of wisdom we want. That's the kind of wisdom a child of God ought to have. And then he says, peaceable. I like that one. You know, I like peace, tranquility. I am not a person who likes arguments. In fact, sometimes I just in my life have taken things and said nothing just because I knew if I spoke up, if I said something, I'm not talking about anything doctrinal. I'm not talking about anything like that. But if I issued my preferences or whatever, that it would cause a problem. And so I just, hey, you know, if it doesn't matter, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, if it doesn't matter, what's the big deal, right? And so it's peaceable, disposed to peace. It's wholesome. And then he says it is gentle, what does it mean to be gentle, fitting, reasonable, considerate? In fact, what gentle means is we don't insist on our rights. Do we have people today insisting on their rights? You know how so much advertising is presented today? You deserve this. You deserve that. It's your right to have these things. 
But a gentle wisdom doesn't say, well, it's my right, and I'm going to get my rights, regardless of what it does to someone else. And then he says, easy to be entreated, and I like that one. It means compliant. And it's just what I was talking about a moment ago. In things that don't matter, in things that don't make a difference, why insist on the way I want it or the way you want it? I was, heard this example many years ago. President Abraham Lincoln was receiving a guest he was a man of some fame, some importance, and coffee was served to them. Now we're talking about the president. And coffee was served to the two guests, and this guest of the president poured his coffee into his saucer and began to drink his coffee out of his saucer. You know what Lincoln did? He poured his coffee into his saucer and drank his coffee out of his saucer because it didn't matter. What's the big deal? He was being, even as the President of the United States, being compliant. And then without partiality. It doesn't make a distinction. This heavenly wisdom doesn't have favorites. It doesn't play favorites. You know what the scripture says? God's not a respecter of persons. God doesn't say, oh, I like that preacher better than I like other people, so I'm going to give things to him better than I, more than I would give to anybody else. No, God does not play favorites. He does not respect personalities. And then it is without hypocrisy. That means it is sincere. It is unfeigned. This heavenly wisdom is not fake. We can choose to operate by either of these wisdoms. Tomorrow when we get, today when we go out from these services, we can choose to operate by either of these wisdoms. But remember that God's word says in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. I want to operate by godly wisdom. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, you know what the Apostle Paul says there? He says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Now, there is no foolishness with God. That's not what Paul was saying. But there are things that men will look at. In fact, the world would look at what we're doing today. As I said last week, the world would look at what we're doing today. And so that's just foolishness. It's wiser than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. In fact, what Paul went on to say is God doesn't use many mighty, many noble, many wise men after the flesh in his service. And why would you think that is? Because when you begin to operate by human wisdom, you know what you do? You start leaving God out. You start leaving Christ out. You start leaving the word of God out. 1 Corinthians 121 says that the world operating in its own wisdom knew not God. And in fact, we live in a world today that does not know God because it's operating in its own wisdom. Again, I like what that great philosopher Jerry Clower said one time. He said, we have people today in our world, in our nation, who are educated beyond their own intelligence. Amen. Now, I'm all for education. But don't get educated beyond your own intelligence. But that's the way so much of the world operates today. Romans chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. When men recognized there was a God and that that God was to be worshipped, he looked for something that he could hold, that he could handle, that he could see with his two eyes and say, that's what God is. And remember the Israelites, when they first came out of Egypt and they got to Mount Sinai, Moses is up there 40 days and 40 nights. 
And they come to Aaron and say, look, we want an image. We want a God to worship. Well, the God of the universe had brought them out of Egypt. They should have been worshiping him. But they said, we want something we can see. And so mankind today seeks to deny the existence of an almighty God, an all-knowing God, an all-caring God, an omnipresent God, and seeks to turn him into someone they can hold in their hands or that they can control that's man's wisdom. And that's man operating in man's wisdom. Let me give you an example right quickly of worldly wisdom. It's one we should be familiar with. For 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament remained in the house of Abinadab. And King David had a great idea. He said, I want to move the Ark to Jerusalem. It shouldn't stay down there in Shiloh. It shouldn't stay at the house. I want to move the ark. And so his good idea turned bad because he did it in a bad way. First Chronicles 13 verses 3 and 4. Look at what he says. Let us bring the ark of our God to us for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so for that thing was right in the eyes of all the people. That's a good idea. But what did David decide? First Chronicles 13 verse 7. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. Now, do you see a problem here? If you don't, just hang on. You're going to. In verses 9 and 10 it says, And when they came unto the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Problems are mounting. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and therefore he died before God. Now what is the problem here? God had not designed that the ark of the covenant should be carried on a cart. The Ark of the Covenant had a ring in each corner and it was to be carried by poles and by the Levites. Okay? God had said, this is the way it is supposed to be done. And I expected to do it that way. David said, hey, we can put it on a new cart and we can bring the Ark to Jerusalem. Now, where do you think David got the idea of putting the Ark of the Covenant on a cart? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7. Now, if you're familiar with what happened with the ark, the Philistines had captured the ark of the covenant. And they put it in the house of their god, Dagon. And when they went in the next morning, Dagon was fallen on his face before the ark of the covenant. So they stood Dagon up and went out. And the next day they came in, Dagon's before the ark of the covenant, face down. And eventually his head and his hands are broken off, cut off. And they said, we've got to get rid of this thing. So they sent it to another Philistine city. And they started having health issues. I think the Bible calls it, the, the word is tumors as it comes from the language. And so they said, we've got to get rid of this thing. We're going to send it back to Israel. It's causing us all kinds of problems. We're going to send this Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. And so 1 Samuel 6, 7 and 8 says this, Now therefore make a new cart and take two milk kine on which there hath come no yoke and tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them and take the Ark of the Lord and lay it upon the cart and send it away that it may go. 
Where did David get the idea of putting the ark on the cart? That's what the Philistines had done. Who were the Philistines? They were not God worshipers. They were pagans. They were worldly. And David saw how the world did it and David decided he'd do it that way and it cost Giza his life. And you know what? The churches today, they're getting their ideas for worship and the ideas for serving God and working for God and witnessing in the world. And it's not coming from God. It's coming from the world. And there's going to be a lot of users that end up just like the user in the Bible. Amen. Either losing their lives or losing their souls. Man in his so-called wisdom has designed a plan of salvation that uses what God calls filthy rags. All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags, the scripture says. And so man tries to use his filthy rage. We want to add to the cross. We just had that in Sunday school this morning. Peter in addressing, this is Acts chapter 15. Peter in addressing the people of that Jerusalem council said, look, we're the people of God and God gave us the law and we can't even keep the law. Why do you think God would expect Gentiles who at that time were considered lower than the Jews? Why do you think God would expect Gentiles to keep the law? God's not going to put a heavier burden on them than he does on us. He's not a respecter of persons. We're all saved by God's grace through faith. In God's wisdom, God says you can't keep the law. You can't do anything to save yourself. And so before the foundation of the world, he sent Jesus. And the scripture says it is God that justified. We're justified by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, the world also says you can lose that salvation. But when God justifies you, how can you unjustify yourself? God has said, you're just, you're right, you're declared just with a judicial pronouncement before me. There's no way we can go back and change that. We are right before God. So mere human wisdom cannot stand before God. I've got to go quickly now. Mankind's understanding versus God's understanding. We're talking about intelligence here. By implication, we're talking about reasoning. Man's intelligence Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The teaching of knowledge and wisdom that stands before God is sound biblical teaching, folks. And that's why we insist on that in this church. Doctrinally sound, biblical teaching. We stand on the teaching we find in the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the men of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. What do you need to serve God? You need the Word of God. You need to follow the Word of God. You need to listen to the Word of God. You need instruction from the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost. If a doctrine cannot be supported by the Word of God, it needs to be gotten rid of. It needs to be ignored. It does not need to be followed. It falls under the Lord's condemnation of the commandments of men. You remember in Matthew chapter 15 when his disciples got in trouble for not washing their hands before they ate. And Jesus asked those Pharisees and those that were present, he says, why do you transgress the word of God by your tradition? And then he said this, 
you teach the traditions of men as commandments of men. And so any doctrine that can't be supported by the word falls under that condemnation. Any doctrine that opposes the word of God is worse than useless because it comes under the guise of biblical doctrine when it's not and it leads people away from God. You know why there's so many religions in the world? Because unsaved men have looked into the Bible and said, well, this is what I think this means. They operated in human wisdom, in human understanding, in human intelligence, in human reasoning. And they said, oh, well, I'm going to teach this. You go through this word and time and time again, it tells you that salvation is by faith. <laughs> you know, somebody say, oh, but preacher, Acts 2.38, that's the only verse you got. Up Mark 16, 15, those are the only two you got. What Acts 2.38 is talking about is you're baptized because you're saved. Mark 16.15, hey, you know, I've used this illustration recently before, but if you're told if you buy a ticket and get on a plane and sit down, you can fly from here to Dallas. Well, what if I don't sit down? As long as I'm in that plane, I'm still going to Dallas. Amen. There are people who can be saved without ever having been baptized or joined a church or done a good work because they repented toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I, I, again, I got to hurry along. Boy, I, I'm sorry. I get caught up in this, you know. I put in the study. I want to share what I learned, all right? The Hebrew word translated understanding talks about discernment and reasoning and often the schemes of the wicked are cleverly thought out and contain intricate details that confound the unsuspecting and the naive. That's why you need to know what the Word of God teaches firsthand. It's not good enough to say, well, this is what our church believes. It's not good enough to say, this is what Brother Jim believes. What we must say is, this is what the Bible says. And I'm going to follow what the Word of God says. The Bible warns us about the wiles or the strategies of the devil in Ephesians chapter 6. And that's a part of the introduction of false teachers. I just talked about the Jerusalem council, conference, whatever you want to call it, in Acts 15. You know why it happened? Because there were false teachers already getting into the Lord's churches. They're saying, oh, you can have faith in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised. We know that's not true. But from the very beginning, there were false teachers coming into the Lord's churches. Listen to what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He said, you, you need to know the word of God, child of God. You need to know the word of God, church member, because somebody may arise from your own number speaking error, and you need to be able to shut it down right now. Amen. I told the Sunday school class this morning, I said, so far as I know, right now I'm in my right mind. <laughs> Iffy, I know that, okay? <laughs> but so far as I know, I'm in my right mind right now. But I said, what if I lose it someday? Hmm? You'd never do I wouldn't do it intentionally. But what if I just lose it someday and go off and pre start preaching something that's not in the Word of God? I would appreciate it if somebody would stand up and say, Preacher, that ain't so. Amen. You're wrong. Man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, the Scripture says, reject him. Understanding 
and reasoning and discernment. It's a skill with facts that gives us to the ability to see what's coming. And since God is eternal, he's the only one who knows what's coming. Amen. Well, where are you going to find out what's coming? In the word of God. A child of God can take this Bible right now and tell you more about the future than all of the psychics in California because I always see them advertised on TV. <laughs> all of the characters in Congress are in the Senate or in the White House or in the state houses, you know more, if you study the word of God, you know more about what's coming than all of those put together. Amen. Because God has given it to us in his word. Did you ever see the so-called experts take all their studies and all their learning and come up with some just inane conclusions? Why do they get it wrong again and again and again? Well, it's because they're not turning to God for wisdom. They're depending on worldly wisdom. They're depending on worldly understanding. And they come up with conclusions that disagree with God and disagree with the word of God. But there's no understanding that's against the Lord. There's no understanding that can prevail against the Lord. Let them make their forecast, okay? We know the word of God and we know what's going to happen. There's no knowledge, no true knowing except from him and the wisdom and understanding of sinful mankind can never be compared to or prevail against the Lord. Final thought. Man's counsel versus God's counsel. The word counsel here is the word for advice, okay? So man's advice versus God's advice. And even more than advice, the idea is plot or planning, okay? Men like to plan things, don't we? We like to decide how we want things to happen and how, things, how we want things to go. And there are those in our world today who seem to want to go to the world for advice. Why do you think Dr. Phil and Oprah are so popular? You say, be careful, preacher, I'll watch them. Well, just listen up. <laughs> they have a constant lineup of false prophets who seem so wise who seem so understanding in worldly wisdom. And so the masses just cling to them. They cling to their plans. There are those who claim, I mentioned psychics, there are those who claim to be able to see into the future and tell you what the future is going to believe. Let me tell you about a psychic. A psychic is either a sham, a fraud, a fake, or a psychic has made contact with Satan. I'm not going to get into this study, but I'm going to tell you years ago, I had a lady call me, as pastor in church, a lady called me. She said, my daughter's dabbling in Satanism. What do I do? Well, I knew absolutely. I was a young, still a young preacher at that time. And I had never looked into that. I'd never studied that. I, so I started studying. Here's one thing I learned from all these studies that a demon will do. He'll have a fortune teller, a psychic, somebody like that tell you that something is going to happen and this demon will then work to make that thing happen so you'll believe the psychic, the fortune teller, the horoscope. I'm going to mention this and I hope nobody uses one of these, the Ouija board. It's demonic. And yet there are people, remember, I don't remember a lot about her predictions, but I remember the name. Anybody remember a lady named Jean Dixon? She's purported to be a psychic. And she got some things right. Most of what she had was wrong, but she got some things right. And some feel that she had made contact with demonic forces, and that's the way she was able to get some of the things right that she had said. 
People think they're going to be successful by following Dr. Field and Oprah and even Gene Dixon and the psychic and so forth. But the fact is there's no plan against the Lord. No plan that can compare to his plan. No plan that can override, overrule, or defeat his plan. Oh, there are actually a lot of plans against him, but no plan that's going to prevail against him. And I find it amazing that the Oprahs and the spiritual advisors and the psychics come up with the same basic idea. They all have the same idea. And you know what that idea is? We're all gods and we can make our own truth. They think we'll become better people if we'll accept that. Where did they get this idea? Go back to Genesis chapter 3. God had told Eve not to partake of and had told Adam, and hopefully Adam taught his wife, apparently not too well, but told Adam not to partake of the forbidden fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan came along. You know, did God tell you not to eat of that or touch it? No, God said don't eat of it. And then when Eve told him what God had said, his reply was, oh, you're not going to die if you'll just eat of that fruit, you're not going to. Here's what will happen. You'll become so wise. And you'll become so wise that you will be like God's and you will know good and evil. That counsel did not work then. And it is not going to work for Dr. Phil, for Oprah, for the psychics, for the fortune tellers, or any of those things. Amen. What I find amazing is just the very thing that it's the same advice that was given to Eve. The arrogance of mankind is astounding when we think of how man gathers his own wisdom, makes his own forecast, and then sets out on a plan, and God is nowhere to be mentioned, and God is nowhere to be accessed. James chapter 4, verse 13 says this, Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Remember that guy? Here's my plans. Here's my counsel. I'm going to this city. I'm going to stay there a year. I'm going to do commerce while I'm there. And I am going to make a ton of money. And what did he say? Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appeareth even for a little time. Then vanishes away. You're going to such a city tomorrow. You don't know that you're going to be there a year. We plan to be back tonight at 6 o'clock. Hey, what if the Lord comes at 559? <laughs> Well, some of us will be in this building at 5.59, but we won't have service. By the way, let me just make this note. I know there's going to be no live stream tonight because of observing the Lord's Supper, but if the Lord comes before 6 o'clock, services tonight are canceled. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be here, and I hope none of you are going to be here either. Verse 15, he says, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will. We shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings and all such rejoicing is evil. He said, when you say, I'm going to do this tomorrow without considering God, he said, that's evil. And in fact, you know, verse 17 follows verse 16. And we always talk about verse 17 to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him in his sin. When we make our plans without God, the word of God says that is sin. One other quick example. Remember the rich man in Luke chapter 12 had a great harvest. 
My barns are full. I don't know what to do. And then he said this. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It said, I'm going to pull down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And this is what I am. I am going to do it. What did God say? Thou fool. That's what God said. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? You got your wisdom. Worldly wisdom. And it makes plans without God. And God says, I can change your plans in an instant. Generations have come and will come. And they will march into a Christless eternity sure of themselves and of their plans. Yet the ultimate test will come at the great white throne judgment. Amen. When they hear Jesus say, or God say, who's going to be at the great white throne, Jesus or God? Yes. He's one and the same. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And at that time, all of the plans of mankind will be seen for what they are. Amen. What's sad is that many of God's people, though they're saved, try to live according to the wisdom, the understanding, and the counsel of the world. Many of God's people say, I'm going to do this, and this, and this, and forget that there's a God in heaven who rules over them. They don't seek God's counsel. They don't seek His fellowship. They speak to Him in prayer very little, and they listen to Him less, even if they show up in a worship service where the Word of God is being preached. How does God speak to us? Through His Word. If we're not in his word reading, we've got a program right now. We're reading through the Bible this year. I'm making out handouts to keep you up to date. We're at four chapters a day. And in less than a year, you can read through the word of God. I'm not going to ask how many are doing it. But folks, that's the only way you're going to hear from God through his word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We have saved people today who live like pagans. Some of them are members of this church. Oh boy, that wasn't nice, was it? That <laughs> was not nice, but true. And they have little or no time for God. They may tip Him occasionally on a Sunday morning, but they feel the rest of their life is theirs. I can do what I want, go where I want, live like I want. They have forgotten 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Remember what it says? What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own for you bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not my life. That day that I turned to God in repentance and by faith applied the blood of Jesus Christ, he bought me Amen. with his blood. Out of the slave market of sin, he made me his. And now it's not my life, it's his life to live through me. There's wisdom, there's understanding, there's good counsel, and it'll stand throughout eternity, but it is from God. And here it is. If you're a child of God, you get ready to face the Lord and face the judgment seat of Christ. Live like you're going to do that because it's going to happen. Honor the Lord in your daily living and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Just live for Him. And for somebody that's unsaved, maybe somebody watching the live stream that's unsaved, recognize you're a sinner. 
That's what you got to do first. See, you don't know that you need to be cured if you don't know you're sick. Recognize your sinner before God. Turn to him in repentance and faith and by faith apply the shed blood of Jesus. Romans 10, 17, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If somebody's watching by live stream or maybe somebody here in this service, if you're not saved, you need to be. That's God's wisdom. That's heavenly wisdom. And you need to be saved today because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring forth. Right where you are, bow your head and ask God to save you. And if you're here in this building, what you want to do next is to tell everybody you've been saved. Amen. To identify with the Lord in scriptural baptism. Get into one of his churches and serve him through that church. I believe this is one of the Lord's churches. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here, folks. Amen. Okay? If you're a child of God. I debated whether to mention this or not. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but something wonderful, marvelous to me happened last Sunday morning. Before the invitation was ever started, we had people come and kneel in the altar and pray. Folks, that is fantastic. It means people are listening to the Word of God when it's being preached. It means God's touching hearts and people are just saying before the Lord, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. And I want to do what you want me to do. And if anything is needed in this world, it's some folks who are saved, who the world will call Christians, who will actually live like Christ every day.